what I want to do is I, I want to show you some uh, verses that you usually don't go to for the Christmas story. Most of the time, whenever you're going to tell the Christmas story, you know, you, you go to the book of uh, Luke or Matthew, right? That's even in our Sunday school lessons. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians and chapter 2. We talk about the birth of Christ. We call it the incarnation, where God became flesh. God took upon flesh. He came into the world and inhabited a body. But I want you to see this in Philippians chapter 2. And notice there in verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5. Many people don't always use these verses for, you know, the Christmas story. But without, without the birth, there can be no resurrection. He had to live. He had to die. Or there, who, who got resurrected? Well, he had to be born. And he was. See in verse 5, let this mind be in you. All right, what kind of a mind are we supposed to have? What kind of mind did he have? How did he think? Remember, he left heaven's glory and came into this world. So there is another place. There's another life somewhere else. There's another world that we've never seen. And he came into this world that we do see. And he told us all about what was going to happen before he arrived. So that's, that's good news. So he came into this world and he says up there in uh, verse to fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, one accord, one mind. Now, when you think about God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they all have the same mind. There is no conflict. There's no warring. There's no jealousy. There's no envying. There's love. And it says God is love. So God is love. Then the Father is love. The Son is love, the Holy Spirit is love, and they love each other. And he wanted to demonstrate that love toward us. So he said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now look what he says. Verse 6. Who being in the form of God, he was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now here's God, and here we are. Are we equal with God? <laughs> no. See, he is so holy, perfect. What about us? Well, we're not perfect. So therefore, uh, we are not justified. We're not on the same plane. We're not on the same level. So the question always comes is, how can a man, that's a sinner, be just with God? In other words, just as if you had no sin, just as if you was as righteous, as holy as God. Well, we're not. So we couldn't come up to God so what God did was come down to man. So he sent his son into the world to take our sins so that we could have eternal life and go to heaven when we die. So somebody had to pay for all the bad things we've done. Well, if you pay for them, you're separated from God forever. So there is a, a mindset here. Now look what he says there in verse 7. But made himself, Christ, made himself of no reputation. So when he came into the world, there wasn't a lot of fanfare. I mean, they didn't roll out the red carpet. He wasn't born in a palace. Now, whenever you have over there in England, when they have uh, the king and the queen and all that, and this young couple got married and they had a baby, 
uh, did anybody know it? I mean, was it on the newspapers and the cameras and all that? Oh, man, was it everywhere. Now, the little kid had a certain little outfit on, and people had gone wild trying to get that same little outfit for their kid. Now, Jesus was born in a stable. He was someplace else where he didn't have all that fanfare, all that glory. He was out there with the animals. Uh, would you say it was a very sanitary place? Now, look where the people have their children today. You would go to the hospital, and everybody washes their hand, everybody's clean, and so forth, and so perfect, you know. Uh, my, my mama, now, she had all six of us kids at home on the floor. Well, I don't know if it was on the floor, but on, wherever my mama was, that's where I was born. The reason I was born at home is because that's where my mama was. Anyway. We're moving right along. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. So this is telling you a little bit about, you know, Christ and who he was and why he came. And so he says here in verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We often call this the, the crib, then the cross, and the crown. That's a pretty good little outline. But it's uh, Christ was born, and he was gone to the cross, and then he died, and then he was resurrected. And there's the crown. You and I, we were born. We live and God says, carry your cross, bear your cross. And later on, after we get through with this, and we leave this world, then God's going to reward you. And there's certain crowns that God wants us to wear. So look what happens as a result of his obedience. See there in verse 9, Wherefore God hath given him a name, highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This isn't talking about you've got to make Christ the Lord and the master of your life and serve God in order to go to heaven. No, that one day everybody's going to recognize who he is. So when he came into this world as a little baby, people didn't believe that was God. And even when he lived for 33 years, they didn't believe that was God. When he was on the cross, they still did not believe that's God. But when he came back from the dead, that kind of changed things. That changed things. That changed everything. And that's what we've been preaching about for 2,000 years. I've been preaching it for a little over 50 years, so I believe it. All right, take your Bible also and look there in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Makes you think of John 3.16, but here's just a little bit different. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, now, you would probably never think, now, this is not a Christmas verse over here, but look what it says. In verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That's the Christmas story. God revealed himself in a physical body. 
the Bible says that it was going to happen, and it did. And not only was he manifest in the flesh, he was justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. There's the whole story. There's a whole Christmas story right there in one verse. We often just go to John 3.16. Well, John 3.16 is a great verse. It really is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So whosoever would believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And he came for a reason. Now, why did he come? Well, because he loved little old me. Well, he loved little old you too. And he paid for your sins. How many of your sins did he pay for? All of them. He didn't pay for all of them. He didn't do you any favors. If he left one sin unpaid, he didn't help you. So that means he had to pay for all of your sins. I've had people say, well, what if you go out here and you commit suicide? Okay, you commit suicide. Okay, I sinned. You would say that's murder, and uh, I'd be dead, right? So how do I get forgiveness of that sin if I'm dead? Ta-da! So now I'm dead, and I just committed suicide. So, well, wait a minute. Is that a sin? Paid. Paid. But when does he get to pay for it? Because you, you just did it, and then you couldn't get forgiveness for it. Wait a minute. When does he pay for those sins? 2,000 years ago. When Christ died 2,000 years ago, all of your sins were in the future. They were all in the future. So that means if a person's born 100 years from now, did Christ already die for him? Well, why wouldn't that include my sins on this side of me? If he paid for his, why didn't he pay for mine? Well, he did. So when I accept the payment he made, that death payment, that was a death payment for all my sins, not up to the time I believe. And now i got to work on these here. As though he saved me on the installment plan. I have to keep making these payments. There are no payments to make. He paid for it in full. Gave me the free gift of eternal life, and that's why I'm going to heaven when I die. And that's why it's so called good news. It's the gift. Now think, it, Christmas time, uh, virtually every home will do something about Christmas or their children not everybody, but most people are. Do you think they really understand what Christmas is really about? Or is it Christmas is just really about giving a present and receiving a present? I'll get you one if you get me one. You didn't get me one? You ain't getting one. Have you ever told them, look, times are hard, the economy's bad, don't get me anything? Yeah, right. And you know you better or else. Now, everybody wants to get something. Isn't it wonderful getting a gift? I love getting gifts. I love them. I even love reading the cards that I get. And every time we get a card, I, I got to read it, read it, read it. And uh, so I, I enjoy it. I love the attitude, the spirit. If you do it without expectation of receiving. Because if you give and you don't receive... You're going to be one disappointed individual because you're expecting something that depends on somebody else. And people will always let you down. Sometimes you get something you didn't expect. 
and that always nice. So you have to be careful. The reason is God so loved the world that he gave the greatest gift of all. What was this great gift that God offered to the world? His son. And he that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son hath not life. So whether you have eternal life or not depends on whether you have the son. Because the son is eternal life. That's why you can't get one without the other. It says in 1 John chapter 5, this is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ is eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. It's Him. Jesus Christ is the gift that God offers to the world. So by accepting this gift, you have eternal life. So 54 years ago, sitting in a little old living room, I wasn't in a church, my father-in-law explained this to me, and so I accepted Christ as my Savior. So if I trust him as my Savior, I got a Savior. What's he going to do? Save me? Save me from what? Hell. That's why I can't go to hell. Why? I got a Savior. And my Savior promised that if I trusted him, he would never cast me out and never lose me. He said he will never cast me out for any reason. You mean for no reason at all? There isn't anything that can cause me to go to hell in the future. I can't go to hell in the future. I can't go today. I can't go tomorrow. I can never go to hell. Why? He promised. Now, either he is God who cannot lie or he's a fibber. He's deceitful. He said, if I trust him, then my going to heaven depends on him. Doesn't depend on me. And so how do you know when you're really trusting the Lord when you're not trying to earn your way to heaven? See, if you're not trying to earn it, it's because you already have it. If a person is trying to earn their way to heaven by how good they are, and I go to church, and I sing in the choir, and I do all these good things. Okay, let's take away all those good works. Will you still go? Well, let's replace all those good works with bad works. Where would you go? Oh. Then you don't understand it. Because, see, people think that you're going to hell because you're so bad and going to heaven because you're so good. There is none good. Nobody is perfect. You have to be perfect to go to heaven. So this is why God explains it in his word. And he says, he was believed on in the world. Look what he says in that last part of that verse. Believed on in the world. In this world, in this lifetime, the only thing that you have to do is believe this. That when he came, he did this. And then later on, he was received up into glory. Well, what's going to happen to us? Well, if that's where he is, and remember he made this statement in the book of John in chapter 14. He says, be not afraid. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And then he makes a statement. He says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you can't get there except through Christ. You reject Christ, you can't go there. And that where he is, there you may be also. So if he was caught up into glory, this place of perfection where no sin dwelleth, is because you and I have believed on him while we're in this world at this time. So that's why it's important. All right, take your Bible and look in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians and chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4.
Remember, Jesus had to come at the right time. He was prophesied that he would come. But Lord, you know, working in strange and mysterious ways, getting everything under control. Lo and behold, they just automatically, for some reason or other, the Roman government decided to tax everybody in the Roman government. Just a coincidence. And that means that they had to go back to their hometown and had to pay their taxes. And here's Mary and Joseph up in Galilee, about 100 miles away, 85 to 100 miles away. And they have to, at this stage of her pregnancy, go almost 100 miles. And got there, and there was no place for them, and they were out there in a cave. I've been over to Israel, and I don't believe it's so much as a stable as a stable was in a cave-like. And uh, that's where Jesus was born, in a stable, in a little manger, you know, a feeding trough, and laid him. All this was told about, and it happened. No big fanfare, a few shepherds. The wise men, when did the wise men get there? When Jesus was born? No, maybe a year and a half, two years later, the wise men showed up. And Jesus at that time was a young child. Whenever he was born, that the, the wise men weren't there and all that. I, they always put it together in the same scene, but it doesn't belong there. But here in Galatians in chapter 4, look in verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come. In other words, God says, the time is coming. And the time came, right on schedule. Now, get this. In the Old Testament, the last book is Malachi. 400 years later. All these 400 years, God never spoke to Israel. No prophets. And the Bible says in the book of Malachi, and it says, suddenly he shall come to his temple. 400 years passed, nothing. Rome has now conquered Israel and they're subservient to them. And you have John the Baptist comes on the scene. And he was the forerunner of Christ. And he went around telling, hey, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Get ready, he's coming, he's coming. And Jesus was coming. So he was born right after John the Baptist. And next thing you know, Jesus lives for 30 years. And he was a carpenter's son. But Joseph was not his real father. And then next thing you know, Jesus comes on the scene. He goes to see John, and John's baptized and telling people to, about the baptism of repentance. That if they believed the message that he preached about the one that was coming, Christ, they were to be baptized in water because they believed that he was coming to pay for their sins. And that's why when Jesus did show up, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That part of his message. That was at the beginning of Christ's ministry, not the end of it. So John the Baptist, that was baptizing. Water baptism does not wash away sin. It doesn't even wash away dirt if you don't use soap with it. So it doesn't wash away your sins. But if they believe the message that he preached, and that was... You must believe on Jesus Christ. You must trust him. Because in Acts chapter 19, that is explained. But look what he says here. 
God sent forth his son. That means his son existed before this. Before he was born in a manger, the son already exists. He sent forth his son that was with him. How can God the Father be an everlasting father without an everlasting son? Most people never think about that. So that means that the son had to be in existence from the very beginning of time or eternity. And that means no beginning. This is why in the book of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 it says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judea, yet out of thee shall he come forth, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. The one that's going to be born in Bethlehem has always been and will always be. So God sent forth his son and his son came. Right on schedule. And notice what the next part says. It was his son made of a woman. So there's a, a woman that God had used to bring his son into the world. And that child, the Bible says in the book of Luke, was a holy thing. He see, he didn't have a sinful nature like we do. Remember last Sunday we had all the little children sitting down here? And they were so precious. But I mentioned this, I says, when Jesus came into the world, he was prophesied, he was promised. He was precious, but he was perfect. Now these children are precious, but not a one of them is perfect, except my grandkids. But only one was perfect, and that was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, turning your Bible to the book of Romans in chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, just to kind of give you this idea, because it's so important. We talk about the resurrection of Christ, and Christ was God. All right, well, he couldn't be resurrected if he hadn't been buried. And he wouldn't have been buried if he hadn't died. And he wouldn't have died if... He hadn't taken our sins, but he did. And the only reason he could take our sins is because he was perfect and had none of his own. So he had to be, as prophesied in Scripture, born of the flesh, of the line of David. Prophesied. Because he's to be the king in Israel, he has to be of the line of David. So look there in verse 3. Let's just look in verse 2 which he had promised to form by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So we're not talking about just somebody's little baby was born. No, this was a unique child. This was the Son of God. Prophesied in the Old Testament that he would come. And that, according to the scriptures, all the types of the 
lambs and the sheep and the goats and the bulls, the calves that were all sacrificed throughout those 1,500 years, well, they were only a type of the lamb that God was going to send. They were sacrifices that were made for the sins of the people. So instead of God killing the people because of their disobedience, God killed an innocent animal. And they were a covering, atonement, but it was a covering. It didn't please God, but it appeased his anger so that whenever this lamb took all the sins of all the world, God was able to pour out all of his anger, all of his wrath upon his son. And you wonder, why did he do that? Well, because God wanted to demonstrate to us that he really does love us. How much does God love you? Enough that he would die for you. That's love. He would die for me. Now, let's say, for example, I've been alive now for over 72 years. Now, if I was 20 years old, and let's say, for example, we take Lynn back there. And Lynn got caught stealing, so they were going to head him up in front of a firing squad and just shoot him. Now, let's say Lynn was a pretty good guy. And here I am. Now, and I don't even know this man, but he was a pretty good guy, that's what they tell me. Except he just messed up, you know. Would I be willing to take his place and die in his place? I mean, just to let myself die. And all that I've done since then, and all my enjoyments, all, I'm going to give all of that up. So that Lynn could live. And he doesn't deserve it. I do. Why should I give up my life for Lynn? You say, because you love him. No, I don't. <laughs> Am I going to die in his place? No, I won't. Now, when people go into battle to serve their country, they volunteer as a you know, go to boot camp and get some training, and then they ship him off to some country, and he has to be willing to die for his country. That means I want my country to live, and I'm going to sacrifice my life. That means that I may not get married, I won't have any kids, I won't get, get rich, I'll never have any dreams fulfilled. I'm really give all of that up so that y'all can live. Now, when those young guys go into battle or go into the service, they probably never really think about that. They think about, well, I get three meals a day. I'll make a little money. When I get out, I get a GI Bill. And then if I stay long enough, I can retire. No, whatever. You're not coming home. You're, you're going to die. I want out. And you stop and think how many people have given up their lives so other people can live. Now, if you gave up your life, wouldn't you want people to at least do something that made it worthwhile? If you threw away your life because somebody else gave up their life so that you could live, wouldn't it be a shame for you to mess up your life and somebody that could have done something lost his, gave it up, 
so that you could live your life. All right? We were not good people. God says there is none good. We weren't righteous. God says there's none right. We're sinners. We deserve to die. And he died for us. Now, what should be our manner of thought when he um, says this? For the love of Christ constraineth us. Means to motivate us. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one, one died for all. And that he died for all. And that they which live out of all that he died for. Then we should live for the one who died for them and rose again. So now that I have got my life given to me. Should I live my life for the one who died for me? So you can't make me serve God. Nobody can. Nobody can make you serve God. They can't make you do right. They can make you suffer consequences, but they can't make you do right. So what is that in your being that's going to compel you to serve God when you don't have to? See, I'm going to heaven because of what he did for me. I'm not going to heaven because of what I do for him. There's nothing that I can do for him that will get me to heaven. All I had to do is believe that when he died, he did that for me. And he gave me that death payment. As though now in eyes of God, I paid for all of my sins. And I'm going to heaven because of what he did for me. That's why this is such a good thing. I want you to look there in the book of Acts. Look in the book of Acts. Chapter 2. The book of Acts in chapter 2. After the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. You mean, you know, the one that denied him three times. Now he is very vocal. Not afraid. So he says in verse 22, he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a man. Jesus literally lived. They saw him. They walked with him. They talked with him. They saw him crucified. They saw him after his resurrection. They were convinced. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you all, as ye yourselves also know. In other words, you knew this. You knew this. Verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God delivered his son to the world. God delivered him. And he delivered him over to the people that did all the wrong to him. But it still did not eliminate what they did to him. What they did to Christ was still wrong. It was still sin. Because he says, by wicked hands you have taken and slain him. See what he says? Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You did that. He presented his son, a perfect lamb, who did no wrong to nobody. He did not deserve to die. 
but you had him crucified. And God took all the sins of the world and placed it upon his son. Now, this is also important to see. You see there in verse 29, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. David died a thousand years before, ahead of this, and his sepulchre is here. His body's still there. Therefore, being a prophet, David was a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, you ought to underline that, according to the flesh, David lived a thousand years before, and God swore to David, you're going to have a son from your loins of the flesh that's going to be the son of God. He says, he would raise up the Messiah to sit on his throne. God promised David that. So did David know about Christ? It says so. Did he know he was going to be the Messiah? He knew that. Now, he didn't know exactly when, how far down the road. God didn't tell everything, but it's revealed that God told him that through your line, a child will be born. And he says in verse 30, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Let's see in verse 31. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh, his body, did seek corruption. So his body was raised from the dead on the third day. They say corruption steps on the fourth day. I don't know. I really don't want to find out. I don't even want to experience it. It's all right. So the Bible tells us about the Christmas story, about Christ coming into the world in a number of other places than just Matthew and the book of Luke. Take your Bible and look there in the book of Acts in chapter 26. Chapter 26. Chapter 26. The Apostle Paul is talking to King Agrippa. King Agrippa. He's telling him about the vision that he had, how that God appeared to him and says, I've got some things that I want you to do, and I'm going to show you what great things you're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. And so he says, I have not been disobedient unto this heavenly vision. That's up there in verse 19. So he says, Oh, King Agrippa, I have not been disobedient to this heavenly vision. God from heaven told me something, told me what to do. And so that's what I'm doing, and that's why I'm here today. And now notice what he says there in uh, verse 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great. You know what I like about that? Where he says, I continue unto this day. By the help of God, I continue until this day. After I trusted Christ as my Savior, only by the grace of God and by the help of God, I can say I have continued until this day. Now, this may be my last day, but this is my day. I'm still here so far, and so are you. We don't know how much time God's given us, but to continue, to continue doing what? Look what he says. Continue unto this day, 
building big churches, being famous, making a lot of money, running for the presidency. What did he say he's doing all this time God's given him to him? Witnessing both to the small and to the great. Sometimes people say, well, you know, if God ever lets me witness to somebody great, man, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. No, if, if you can't witness to a little child that you've never met before, a little snotty-nosed kid, rebellious, you can't witness to a little child or some teenager that you don't know, you're not going to witness somebody great. Because aren't they just as important as the big shot? Every person is important in the eyes of God, small and great in the eyes of the world, witness to all kinds. This is a tremendous salvation verse. Now, why does he do this? So he says here in middle part of verse 22, saying none other thing than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. What I'm talking about, Paul says, is what the prophets what Moses talked about. They talked about Christ. So then he says in verse 23, that, get this, what he's talking about, that Christ should suffer. Who said that? The Old Testament prophets. In the Old Testament, you can go back and you can find these scriptures, and it says he is coming. And when he comes, he's going to suffer. And then he says here, that should rise from the dead, should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. This is why all that happened. Jesus wasn't born just so everybody can just swap presents at Christmas time and talk about his birth. Did you know, somebody asked me not long ago, if I, um, you know, why I didn't mention anything about, you know, the day when Pearl Harbor was bombed. I really don't care to celebrate when Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. That's not a happy day to me. I think you ought to think more about, you know, when it declared, I, I celebrate when they dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and ended the war. But there's nothing in the Bible that says to celebrate Christmas, the day when Jesus was born. But I don't mind having a day that's set aside to honor Him who came into the world and I really don't care when he came. I don't care if it was October, December, or maybe when the little lambs are born in the springtime and he was a little lamb. I really don't care when he was born. I am just concerned he was born. And that he did live and that he died. Now we know more about his resurrection because we even know the month and we know pretty much the day. We know he came back again from the dead. And the first day of the week. So here we are. I think we ought to not just think about the babe that was born, but the one that died on that cross came back from the dead. It's the same person. Look how many people talk about Christmas. And there is no Christ in their Christmas. My whole life is built around Christ. He is my life. I know him and I love him. And down in verse 27, King Agrippa said, Believe us. Thou the prophets, I know thou believest that you knew he was coming. You knew the Messiah was coming. Now, whether he knew and believed this was the Messiah, I don't know. And he says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost you persuaded me. Paul says in verse 29, I would to God 
that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. I'm a prisoner. He was a prisoner for the Lord. And all he wanted to do was go hither and thither and witness to small and great because he had received from the Lord a heavenly vision. This is Christmas. This is understanding what Christ coming into the world is all about. At Christmas time, yes, we love to get gifts and give gifts, but it's really about God giving to the world the greatest gift of all, the gift of His Son. Now, wouldn't it be a shame for you to reject the gift of eternal life, which is the desire of all nations to live forever in a perfect place, perfect joy, perfect peace, and yet, to reject that? What if you spent a lot of money on a special gift for your wife or your husband or your kids or grandkids, and they don't want it? They don't want it. But sometimes people don't understand when they reject Christ, they're rejecting the gift of eternal life because you can only get it through Him, no one else. That's why it's such a wonderful thing to know. It's such a wonderful thing to share. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. And this wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, He hates what we do wrong, called sins. And we're all guilty. And we're all going to have to pay the penalty of death. Eternal separation from God. But you see, God loves us. He wants us to live with Him in heaven for all eternity. But to go to heaven, see, we have to be perfect, and none of us are perfect. We're not good to go. Because we are sinners, sinners can't get in. So I got a debt to pay. And the only payment is eternal separation from God, which will never be paid. It's eternal separation. So most people think they have to do all these good works. And if they do these good works, you know, cover their sins... If they're good, outweighs their bad, they'll get in. But if they're bad, outweighs their good, then they go down. You ever heard that? But see, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says you cannot save yourself. You can't even help. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because He loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from God. So God sent His Son into the world not just to stay a baby. Some people still worship the babe in the manger and they forget about the man on the cross. He's not even there anymore. You see, he was taken off the cross, placed into the tomb, and came back again from the dead. He had paid for our sins. All we have to do is believe that he did it for us and God would put this payment to our account and we go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. That's the best news in the world. No tricks to that. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why don't you trust Him right now? So maybe you didn't understand it all. But friend, you don't have to understand everything, but you do understand we're sinners. We've done things wrong. We can't save ourselves. Will you believe that when Christ came into the world, would you believe that He died to pay for your sins? And if you'll believe that and trust Him to take you to heaven, God will give you the free gift of everlasting life. Would you trust Him? If you're making that decision right now, you've never done it before. 
She said, yes, that makes sense to me. And right now, I will trust Christ as my Savior and preach. I'd like you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Just slip it up real quickly and put it right back down. Is anyone at all? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're God's child. You have eternal life. You'll get to go to heaven whenever you die. But there's a lot of people that's never heard this. Explain it to others. Make sure your family knows and understands this. You know, your grandkids, your kids, your aunts and uncles. and You know, if everybody just reached their family, we'd reach the world. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one. And we are thankful for the story of Christmas, of God sending his son into the world so that we could have the free gift of everlasting life. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.